Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 108. Tyree Kill this week had 269 receiving yards for the Chiefs versus the Bucks. Fun fact, did you know that that is more receiving yards than the entire Jets offense, New York Jets, have had in six out of their 11 games this season? 269 yards. That is a lot of yards. And the, the wild thing was 203 of those came in the first quarter, Whew. which was two off of an NFL record. So that was crazy. We'll get to that game later. But first, oh, man, it was such a good weekend. That yes, it was. Oh. That Cyclone football game was incredible. We win those. We win those. We, those didn't, we didn't used to. We win those close games. I mean, this had the, this had the makeup of a game where – at least teams, Iowa State teams of old, fold in games like in crunch time at the end of the game. But we were able to pull it out. Uh, Brock Purdy was phenomenal on the last drive that the Cyclones had. Brees Hall finally got a decent run, and that led to the go-ahead touchdown. But We'll talk about the rest of the game first, and we'll let Mike recap some things in that game. Yeah, um, it didn't start out particularly well for the Cyclones as they managed to fall behind early like they seem to do fairly often at Texas. Um, as, as this game, they managed to fall behind 10 to nothing 10 to nothing early with Texas scoring a touchdown a field goal and then a touchdown um the first half was certainly not um Iowa State's best half granted they did uh go into the locker room only down 13-10 but penalties and stupid plays were killing the Cyclones uh Texas had missed a field goal um, right near the end of the first quarter, but Iowa State got called for an illegal formation for lining up over the long snapper. And then after the five-yard penalty, Texas made the next attempt. So that cost you three points directly right there. Um, uh, In midway through the second quarter on Iowa State's field goal, you were deep in the red zone and had some penalties back you up that, uh, that cost you a possible touchdown there too. It was just bad penalties for the Cyclones in the first half. It looked a lot like that Oklahoma State game where they uh, were just going to kill themselves with penalties and miss points that way, and special teams were killing them. But the second half, uh, and especially the fourth quarter, things really started to turn around for the Cyclones. After Texas scored the first points of the third quarter to go up 2010, it was pretty much all Iowa State from there with two Connor Asali field goals and then that Brees Hall touchdown that Kyle mentioned um, to give Iowa State the win. Um, As I mentioned in last week's episode, the key to the passing game was the tight ends. Um, Chase Allen didn't catch a pass, but um, Charlie Kohler and um, 
Snyder, what's his first name? Dylan, Dylan Saner. Dylan Saner um, combined for, let me find this, this in the box score. Those two combined for exactly 200 yards um, receiving. Um, between and those Sa- Saner had a career, that was his career game. Yep. Career high 69 yards for Saner. Um, so you have 200 of the 312 receiving yards for the Cyclones were um, from those tight ends along with 11 of the 25 completions. So those tight ends, especially on that last game-winning drive, were um, the keys. They were absolutely the keys because they had most, if not all, of the receptions on that drive. So the tight ends came up big against Texas's secondary. The defense held up on that final drive. On the second-to-last play, they finally managed to get Ellinger. He had been escaping from pressure almost the whole game. Um, they finally managed to get Ellinger. Um, I think Texas shot themselves in the foot a couple of times late in the game. Um, they went for a fake punt. They actually completed a pass on the fake punt, but it was only for five yards on fourth and eight. So they ended up turning the ball over on that fourth down. And then again, when they had the opportunity to um, go up by, what would it have been? Go up by seven um, late in the fourth quarter, they had a fourth and one at about the uh, about the twenty yard line. No, about the thirty yard line. Sorry, right, Kyle? About the thirty yard line. Uh, I think it was a little closer. Let me a little find, inside the thirty. Let me find the exact thing in the box score here. Give me a second. Um, yes, it was at the is at the thirteen. Yeah, actually, at Iowa State's thirteen. Um, they man, uh, they decided to go for it on fourth and two, one and a half ish from the 13 and uh, Sam Ellinger got stopped. You could have got kicked the field goal and gone up seven there, but they decided to go for it and got stopped, which gave Iowa state another chance. Now nothing came of that drive. Iowa state ended up punting, but then the defense forced a three and out, which flipped the field position and allowed Iowa state to go on that uh, 69 yard game winning touchdown drive that we um, talked about earlier. So Iowa state played a great second half. This was a tale of two halves. Texas played a great first half. Iowa State played a great second half. Um, and it was enough for Iowa State to get the win. I think the defense really actually came up big when it needed to. Our corners, our corners got burnt a bunch in this game, especially by Eagles, uh, who is Texas's best wide receiver uh, in that uh, wide receiver room. And the, the corners got beat. Uh, Texas's first drive, they had a deep pass to Eagles inside the 10, maybe in, even inside the five. But the Cyclones defense really stepped up and had a goal line stand to force Texas into that first field goal, which is huge because it ultimately the Cyclones could have been down 14 to nothing before they were able to score their first points of the game. So the defense came up with big stops when they needed to. Uh, Bankston was actually named Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. He had five total tackles. He had two sacks in the game, none bigger than the sack of Sam Ellinger with three seconds left or four seconds left in the game that it, it made that field goal very difficult. If Sam Ellinger was able to get away from that, from Bankston's arms, he had five, 10 yards to run before he 
would have had himself or it would have made that kick a lot easier for Dicker, who is one of the most accurate and probably one of the best field goal kickers in college football. Uh, He doesn't miss many field goals and he just barely ended up missing that 58 yarder as time expired. So the defense really stepped up when they needed to, which was huge in this game. Yeah. Like I just sort of expected that field goal to go in. That would just be like the Iowa state thing to happen is you just expect that field goal to go in. At least it would have been for overtime and not the win. It's not like that game against Baylor how many years ago where Baylor won despite five, leading for exactly five zero years, minutes. six years ago now. Yes. Five, five years ago. They led for zero minutes and zero seconds and won the game on the game-winning field goal. Anyway, I don't know if my heart could have taken overtime in that game, so I'm really glad he missed. I was a little, little on edge that entire game. That I, was- I didn't sit down the entire second half. I was standing – yeah. Watching the entire yeah. second half was, of that game. I was pacing my apartment for like the last 45 minutes of that game. Like it was so intense. That was so much fun. And now Iowa State is moving on. Um, they have almost clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship game. I am told that mathematically there is still a way that they cannot make it. I'm not sure what it is. Like looking at the Big 12 standings, I can't find it. Can anybody, has anybody been able to find the scenario where Iowa State doesn't make the Big 12 championship game? I I haven't been able to, and so many people on Twitter have already been pronouncing Iowa State as as clinching a spot in the Big 12 championship game. Right. I think now it just really depends on which sideline are they going to be standing on. Right. So Let's say that Iowa State, Oklahoma, or Iowa State loses to West Virginia and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State win out, right? That puts them all at seven and two in the conference, three-way tie, and all of them will have beaten each other and lost to each other, right? Iowa State beat Oklahoma, right. lost to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State um, lost to Oklahoma, beat Iowa State, et cetera. So then, according to the Big 12 tiebreak, is it's going to come down to the record against the team with the next best record. Now, if we look at that, that team is most likely to be Texas, right? Because Texas has games left against K-State and KU, right? And it won't be West Virginia because West Virginia still plays OU and we said OU wins out. So West Virginia will have at least four losses. Um, K-State and TCU already have four losses. Basically, I don't see a way that I can't find the way. I can't find it. Unless, maybe, unless you're looking at maybe the next best team, all of those teams have four right. losses. But then, but Iowa then, State, but then Iowa State has the tie, has the better record, right? Well, so then Iowa State would be three and one against those four teams, right? right. Texas, West Virginia, K State, and Oklahoma. Oklahoma would be three and one against those teams, with the loss to West Virginia that would have to have gotten factored in there. To, they'd actually be two and two. They'd have lost to K State as well. Yeah. So, or they'd be at best three and one because they definitely lost to K State. Um, and Oklahoma State um, would have a loss to Texas um, on there. So all the teams would be three and one in that instance. So then it would go down to the boy, this is going to get into point differential and things like, okay, so maybe there are some ways. Maybe there are some ways if we get I think all the there's way down to mathematically the tiebreakers here. Mathematically, there is still 
a chance, I believe, but it is a slim chance. Yeah, it might get all the way down into point differential at this point. And, um, and really the only way to solidify this, do your job, win at home, beat West Virginia in the Riot Bowl. Yes. And we'll talk about that here in a second, yes. but I have some statistics that came out of the game against Texas. With that win over Texas and Austin, Iowa State sets a new school record for seven conference wins in a single season, first time ever. Uh, it is their first time beating OU and Texas in the same season, which seems hard to believe, but it's true. And Brock Purdy is now tied for the school record for QB wins by a single quarterback in his career at, at 21. So I Brock Purdy has a chance to set that school record next week when they or this week I should say as they take on West Virginia and keep in mind that's pretty much been in two and a half seasons really mm-hmm. maybe a little over two and a half mm-hmm. because he didn't start right away his freshman year so yeah. also update on those tiebreakers the next the third tiebreaker um, is point differential amongst the tied teams. Um, and since Oklahoma absolutely roasted Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State is going to lose that three-way tiebreaker against Oklahoma because Iowa State played both teams close. And since Oklahoma State did not play Oklahoma close, Oklahoma will, State will lose that tiebreaker and Iowa State will still go to the Big 12 championship. So I don't see a way. I don't see a way. If anybody finds it, tell me, but I don't see a way. So book your tickets to Dallas, except don't because fans can't be there. That's well, that is the sad part about this, right? Will, actually, will they be able to have fans? I have no at, idea. At but, AT&T Stadium? But that's the sad part about this is Iowa State finally has this year and goes to the Big 12 championship game and maybe a possible cotton bowl berth after that. And um right, and it's not a, you can't pack can't pack the stands and everything like that. That is the downside of this. But that is the way it goes. Perhaps you don't win at Texas if there's a full amount of fans in the stands. So who knows? That is the way it is. It's unfortunate. But root your Cyclones on from home. Do what you can. And as Kyle mentioned, do root your Cyclones on from home next week um, in the Riot Bowl against West Virginia. Unless you had any more stats for this game, Kyle. I don't. That was it. The only other stat of note really is Brees Hall ended his consecutive game streak with a hundred, a hundred over a hundred yards rushing. I should say uh, that streak ended at, I believe eight games, right. To start the season. Yes. He, he did not eclipse the games, centennial mark. Yeah. He ended with around 90 yards rushing on the game. So very close, but not quite enough. Um, But yes, Riot Bowl next week against West Virginia. Game will be 2.30 on ESPN. Um, It is at Jack Trice Stadium. There's still no word that I've seen from athletics yet about whether or not fans will be allowed in the stands, but I'm guessing that the answer will be no. Um, I don't know why they would at this point. I don't know why they would change. Um, it is senior day, but it will be a weird senior day because, you know, all the seniors can come back again next year as seniors again. So, but it is senior day. 
Iowa State opens as seven-point favorites against West Virginia, and ESPN FPI gives them a 65.2% chance to win that game. So there you have it. Win the game, win the conference outright. It's as simple as that. Win the game, win the conference outright. Kyle, what are your keys to making sure Iowa State wins that game? Yeah, so my keys for the game are going to be stop Letty Brown, who is the uh, lead running back for the West Virginia Mountaineers team. He is actually the second leading rusher in the Big 12 to Iowa State's Brees Hall with 800, I believe, 867 rushing yards on the season. Uh, If we stop him... We're going to force a young West Virginia Mountaineer quarterback into passing more. He has actually not thrown a lot of interceptions this season. He has 13 touchdowns to three interceptions. But I feel like the more Iowa State takes the ball out of Letty Brown's hands, who is a playmaker for this offense, the, the better things will turnout for the Cyclones, especially on defense with such a great scheme that Iowa State runs that is hard to really prepare for and be ready for. Uh, Letty Brown does have nine rushing touchdowns on the season, so obviously he is their go-to guy uh, for the this Mountaineers team. And the other key is, I said don't turn the ball over, but win the turnover margin. Uh, West Virginia doesn't doesn't really turn the ball over. Three interceptions on the season. They have six lost fumbles on the season. Uh, that's that's not very many turnovers. So if you play clean football, maybe get a turnover one or two, win that turnover margin, get a few extra possessions. I think Iowa State should be in pretty good shape. And just keep the pedal down. Don't let up. This Don't is your tune-up. Do. This is your tune-up game for the Big 12 championship, right? Yep. You're also going to have the advantage um, going into the Big 12 championship game, and I'm sure we'll do a thorough preview of that game before it happens. But just a quick private note, that note that both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, um, your possible opponents for that, have had a game canceled for COVID and rescheduled for two weeks from now. That means that Iowa State will have a bye week before the Big 12 championship game. Um, that is set to be played on November, on December 19th. And both your opponents will not. They will both have to play on um, Saturday the 12th. So keep that in mind as you get the extra week to prepare, the extra week to uh, rest up, get healthy, and prepare for that game. So that'll be another advantage that I'm sure we'll talk about in the weeks ahead as that game gets closer. But in the meantime, don't let up beat West Virginia. And then let's secure that uncontested conference title, regular season title. That would be cool. And I, I hope that you – so Chase Allen came out with this uh, comment when talking to the media last week. He said, I hope you're having as much fun as we are playing. And it shows. Those, they are having fun out there. If you saw Matt Campbell's post-game interview with – ABC, he he was in tears because he was so proud of how far they've come. It's such an accomplishment for them. Uh, Matt Campbell was quoted uh, saying, I don't think we put any goals 
and expectations other than other than man we can we not be the laughing stock of college football and that was at the beginning of this season and I think mission accomplished they're getting noticed and they're doing it with as Brees Hall so elegantly quote or summed up it's five-star culture versus five-star players and the media is starting to take notice at going into that game Iowa State's four and five star recruits compared to Texas. Texas had 53 four and five star recruits on that roster. Iowa State four. Team talent ranking, Texas fifth in the nation. Iowa State 57th. Final score, Iowa State 23 to 20. Heart over stars and who you were coming into uh, college football. And I, I just can't stand people like Colin Cowherd still out there saying the Texas Longhorns have no business ever losing to Iowa State in football. It's a culture thing. I hate the media and how they always portray Texas and OU as these teams that can never be touched by other teams. Relish it, Cyclone Nation. Relish it. Enjoy it while it's here. Continue rooting on your Cyclones like you always do and be proud of who we are. That is that. And now... Moving on to more Cyclone sports. Men's basketball was uh, kicked off their season on Sunday as they hosted Arkansas Pine Bluff. And, well, they took a few plays from the football team uh, because they started out real bad. Uh, they got down 14-2 to in the early minutes of that game. Steve Prohm had to call a timeout and kind of rally the troops. They trailed the entire first half in that game. Man, it was ugly. First half stats, Iowa State was 13 of 34 from the floor, which isn't great. Four of 18 from three. They were out-rebounded in the first half, but they didn't turn the ball over, which was huge. Uh, that was a big issue that the Cyclones had last year was actually maintaining possession of the ball and not giving away um, extra possessions. Final score, Iowa State ended up winning 80-63. to They led by as many as 20 in the second half. Um, they, they really poured it on in the second half. The threes started to go in. They ended up shooting 37.5% from three uh, to finish out the game and nearly 50% from the floor. Uh, free throw shooting was almost non-existent in this game. Uh, there were four of seven. The only concerning thing is this team is still – very guard heavy, especially when you start Solomon Young, who's a generous six nine in the post um, for this team. Uh, Iowa State was out rebounded by this Arkansas Pine Bluff team, which will be an issue when we get into Big Twelve play. They did win the turnover battle as they forced nineteen turnovers and only gave the ball away ten times. Now the leading scorer for Iowa State on the day was the transfer from uh, Illinois by way of Illinois. Jalen Coleman lands. He looked, he looked good for this team. It's going to be a combination of Rajir Bolton, Tyler Harris, and Jalen Coleman lands leading this team. Those three guards uh, this season both reached double figures. Tyler Harris shot very well from three. Uh, he was four of eight, three of those coming in the second half when he got hot. Rajir Bolton got to the uh, rim multiple times, which led to kickouts. He had seven assists on the day. 
flirted a little bit with the triple-double with 16.7 rebounds and seven assists. And he didn't he, – he was better with the ball than he was at times last year, only turned the ball over twice. Uh, a couple surprising things, in my opinion, was uh, Darling uh, – what's his first name? Darlingstone Dunbar uh, for the Cyclones looks to be possibly the go-to uh, – and first player off the bench, maybe except for when Trey Jackson comes back. Trey Jackson was dealing with um, an illness, and he was out with an injury as well. So once he comes back, that's more experience in that uh, backcourt for the Cyclones. But Dunbar came in, played fantastic. He was flying to the rim. He had six offensive rebounds, uh, had seven points on the day, and he was he was electric off the bench for the Cyclones, which is what they needed Xavier Foster only played nine minutes. Uh, Cyclone fans, this should be expected for the first part of the season. Um, he's coming off of a concussion and an un-COVID-related illness as well. Uh, so he got a late start to the season. He's still ramping back up to speed. He showed some flashes when he came in. He had two dunks, but he also got beat twice off the dribble. Um, he's got a little bit to go before he gets into the ebbs and flows of college basketball. So look for a Solomon Young, George Condit front court rotation for the time being. Uh, other than that, there's really not much that we can garter from this game, um, except that it, it was a victory. Steve Prohm got his 200th career win, uh, which is impressive. Um, good for him. Obviously I touched on this. I think the only thing that we get out of this is rebounding is still going to be an issue uh, for this team, but they seem to have picked it up in the second half on defense. They were starting to get their hands on more balls, get them in the passing lane. Uh, so hopefully this team plays a little bit better defense this year than they did last year. Next up, they play a very, very good South Dakota state team. Uh, they come to Hilton Coliseum on December 2nd, which is Wednesday night. And that tips off at 6 p.m. So check in on that as the Cyclones get back into action this week. Moving on, uh, the NFL had another week. Uh, and this one was headlined by quite a few uh, stories. Um, one of, the biggest one really was the Ravens COVID outbreak, which uh, pushed back the game that was originally meant to be played uh, Thursday night on Turkey Day on NBC. That was originally pushed back to Sunday. It was then again pushed back to Tuesday. And now it has been pushed back once more to Thursday or sorry, Wednesday. That game will be played 340 Eastern uh, on Wednesday, which is going to be a wild time. Have a little bit of fun watching some NFL football at the end of your work day. Not advising it, but only if you can. Uh, yeah. the, the reason that game has to be uh, in the afternoon as opposed to the evening is because NBC decided broadcasting the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting uh, Wednesday evening was more important. So. For one of the most sad Christmas trees that I think I've seen in a while. Uh, the Lions uh, cleaned house. Uh, they fired Matt Patricia and their GM after they have just been absolutely awful. Uh, and yeah, they, they needed a change in Detroit. Things aren't going well. Will Fuller, 
uh, was just suspended today for six games for violating the NFL substance and abuse policy. I would assume that he probably didn't pass his leafy green test um, that he had after the Texans have had some success in recent days. Oh, it, was uh, a, it was a performance-enhancing drug suspension. Not a, Oh, it was performance-enhancing drugs? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So – Never mind. I stand corrected. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Uh, other front office news, the Jags fire their GM. Uh, that was almost to be expected. The Jaguars have been atrocious. The 49ers, uh, and kind of what was one of the most uh, surprising uh, storylines that we had this week, they, they are homeless uh, for the next three weeks. And they play in Santa Clara, right? Santa Clara, California impose some new uh, guidelines in which they are not able to practice within those guidelines. So in a statement from the San Francisco 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers have come to an agreement with the National Football League and the Arizona Cardinals, which allows the 49ers to host their weeks 13 and 14 home games against the Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. Uh, the Cardinals organization, the State Farm Stadium, and league officials have been supportive and accommodating as we work through many logistical issues involving involved in relocating NFL games. And they are more information to follow on their practice location and schedule. My assumption is they are taking a bowl game-like destination trip to sunny Arizona to in order to play those games wild but this is what 2020 is uh speaking about speaking of wild um the broncos didn't have any quarterbacks on their active roster uh to play the saints until they elevated uh a wide receiver from the practice squad to be the starting quarterback for that game they ended up running a lot of wildcat in that game but it was pretty crazy that that game was still able to happen with technically zero quarterbacks healthy and able to play uh Wyatt did you say that he was paid $35,000 for his efforts in that uh, game yeah I believe that was a $35,000 thing that he signed for the game I, I don't have the facts on that entirely but that, that's just what I heard so props oh, what what was his name Hilt Hinton I believe is what his name was the wide receiver that was called up from the practice squad uh he did throw a few passes, so good for him. It was a bad situation. They're playing one of the top teams in the NFL uh, in the Saints, so not good for the Broncos all around on that day. His name was Kendall Hinton, and he did uh, receive $35,800 to play QB for the Broncos for that game. I think I'd suit up and give it a whirl <laughs> for that money. Who <laughs> wouldn't? Right. I would uh, I would do it for much less than that. Just say you play quarterback <laughs> yeah. in the NFL for a week. Like, why the heck not? Same. Um, so, yeah, that was obviously a wild story. Uh, another surprising thing that happened on Turkey Day, well, of course, the Lions continue their absolute disaster of appearances on Thanksgiving Day as they get routed by the uh, Houston Texans. Washington embarrasses the Cowboys and that was just an ugly game and it continued to just spiral downhill in the fourth quarter uh yeah the Cowboys are I mean they're not done mathematically according to 538 
they have an 8% chance to make the playoffs, but they're pretty much done. The Raiders, after playing the Chiefs very well the previous week, lay an absolute egg against the Atlanta Falcons and get blitzed 40, I believe, 43 to 6. Uh, that game was not close at all. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons had a heyday on defense, forcing eight fumbles um, and having a couple or an interception against Derek Carr. Tennessee versus Indianapolis, I presumed would probably be the game of the one o'clock window uh, for the day, and it was not. Derek Henry scored three first half touchdowns, and Tennessee. Uh, kept that game out of reach for Indianapolis in a revenge match of a uh, game that they, that Indianapolis won two weeks prior on Thursday night football. Uh, Minnesota somehow ended up coming back to beat the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers had two fumble returns for touchdowns on two consecutive offensive plays for the Minnesota Vikings. And it was the same cornerback who, returned him as well he became the first defensive player to score on back-to-back scrimmage plays in NFL history when he uh when Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook fumbled on back-to-back offensive plays for the Vikings and they were both turned for the touchdown I thought the Vikings were done after that I thought they would have no momentum and no uh nothing to go on there especially without Adam Thielen who is out um in, uh after um being exposed to someone with COVID um, but they managed to claw back to just a three-point deficit um, and had forced a Carolina punt when Chad Beebe decided he was going to uh, muff that punt in the red in Carolina. Hey, hey sometimes it's hard to catch footballs. It's his job. He's the punt returner. Catch the punt. Yeah, you had one job. Uh-huh. Anyway, the defense, um, which played really well all game, including a previous red zone interception, um, managed to um, hold Carolina to a field goal on that possession. Um, and then Kirk Cousins led a great comeback drive down the field. And um, Chad scored. Beebe got redemption. Yes, Chad Beebe got redemption as the Vikings scored the go-ahead touchdown to go up by a point with about 45 seconds left. Carolina drove down, but they missed the game-winning field goal, missed it badly. Well, well hold on. The extra, the ensuing extra point after Minnesota scored was blocked, but the gunner or whoever the outside uh, defender is was offside, so they were able to re-kick, and then they made it on the second attempt. Mm-hmm. And Carolina missed the game-winning field goal, so the Vikings managed to win. And again, nobody can decide if they're a good team that just had a dud against the Cowboys and uh, dud against the Cowboys and maybe should have won some other games or if they're a bad team and nobody knows how they beat the Packers. Like those are your two things. Either the Vikings beat the Packers and they had no business doing it or they lost to the Cowboys and had no business doing it. And nobody can figure out which one. So these next couple of weeks might shed some light on the Vikings, but they're still in the playoff hunt for now. Well, and still in the playoff hunt are apparently the New England Patriots as they somehow best the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury combo look didn't look great on offense as the Arizona Cardinals were stymied by Bill Belichick in that defense. 
was it just a fluke game for the Cardinals or was Bill Belichick at it again with just masterful coaching and defensive work? Uh, who knows? But New England is still in the hunt as Nick Folk was able to kick a 50-yard game-winning field goal as time expired. Speaking of game-winning field goals, the 49ers sweep the uh, season series between the, with them and the Los Angeles Rams uh, as Robbie Gold continues to – continues to just kick in what like everyone thought he was out of his prime he was run out of Chicago and he has found a home in San Francisco as he was able to win the game for them uh the Rams have an issue playing the 49ers apparently they were in control of the NFC West now they're not now the Seahawks are back in control uh as they play on Monday night football the Chiefs jump out early in this game, as we talked about earlier. Tyreek Hill had two, as I alluded to earlier, Tyreek Hill had 203 receiving yards just in the first quarter alone. Uh, Patrick Mahomes ends up uh, throwing for 462 yards in the game. But Tom Brady and the Bucks came back. The Chiefs did almost everything they could to lose that game, including uh, killing two drives where they had opportunities to kick field goals to extend the lead by holding a bunch of silly penalties, especially holding uh, ends up after Brady and the Bucks score to make it uh, 27 to 24. The chiefs get the ball back and were able to get a few first downs and end up running out the clock. It was a good thing that they didn't leave it up to a coin flip uh, against Tom Brady. Cause we all know how that went in the 2019 AFC uh, Sunday night football the Bears are finally being put back in the place where everyone kind of expected them to be. They somehow fluked, started out 5-0, and but the Packers absolutely destroyed and humiliated the Bears on Sunday night football. There is, I might say, there is a problem in the locker room as uh, Matt Nagy was calling out all of his players for not showing any heart or really just playing up to who they think they are. Uh, so locker room issues in Chicago, tension may be there as they drop a game and the Packers uh, are now eight and three or nine and three on the season, eight and th- nine and three on the season for Green Bay as they are chasing down New Orleans for that one seed in the NFC. It's eight, it's eight and three for the Packers. Is it eight and three? Okay, my bad. Eight and three for the Packers. But they're still chasing the Saints in the NFC. The NFC seems to be uh, a little bit more top-heavy. The Packers, the Seahawks, and the Saints are really all at the top. Then somehow you have the New York Giants now in the playoff picture. But then you have the Rams, Bucks, and Cardinals uh, rounding out the NFC. The AFC is led by the two... Uh, top teams as Kansas City or Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Pittsburgh is still undefeated, uh, obviously, until they play on Wednesday night football. We'll find or Wednesday afternoon football. We'll see the outcome from there. The one and two seed, then the Titans, Bills, Browns, Dolphins, and Colts. As you have Tennessee is Tennessee is eight and three. The Browns are eight and three. The Dolphins are seven and four this is a very top heavy afc and there's going to be a lot of 
uh, jostling when it comes down to wild card, um, the wild card selections at the end of the season. So stay tuned. We will keep you apprised of everything NFL related. Yes, we will. And as always, we will also keep you up to date on all things rules related. And this week, um, we're going to talk to you about something that maybe kind of a little bit made an appearance in the Cyclones game on Friday afternoon. Um, We'll talk about that. And that is um, illegal touching. So now first I'll talk about the play in question and then um, we'll go to the rule and then we'll talk about it. So the play in question was near the end of the game. uh, Texas throws a pass down the sideline towards Eagles again, which um, is a little high and it ends up going off of his hands um, out of bounds and incomplete. Um, Now, if you notice on the replay, of that, you see the official throws his hat. Normally, throw, official throwing his hat means that um, an offensive player was seen to be out of bounds, um, and then needs to be, um, and then cannot be the next person to touch the ball, or it's illegal touching. So the rule on illegal touching, because I was curious, is Rule Seven, Section Three, Article Four. Um, which states no eligible offensive receiver who goes out of bounds and returns inbounds during a down shall touch a legal forward pass while in the field of play or end zone or while airborne until it has been touched by an opponent or official. The exception is that this does not apply to an originally eligible offensive player who immediately returns inbounds after going out of bounds due to contact by an opponent. The penalty for illegal touching is loss of down at the previous spot. Um, so basically, since it is a loss of down at previous spot penalty, since the pass was incomplete, um, it doesn't matter because the result of an incomplete pass is essentially a loss of down at the previous spot. Um, so whether or not it was illegal touching, really, you can call it illegal touching on an incomplete pass because by the definition of that rule, it does seem to be illegal touching. Um, but like you said, I'm not going to nitpick on the officials for um, calling or not calling this one since um, the result would have been the same anyway. But since he threw it, I saw the official throw his hat on the replay and then I was like, Oh, okay. Well, whether or not he completed that pass wouldn't have mattered. Now why you posted something that you don't think it, um, would have been illegal touching. Why is that? I think that this would fall into the exception to that rule where I'm pretty sure that he was pushed out of bounds prior, which is when the official threw his hat, which I think was a mistake. Uh, it's one of those things where he threw his hat because he was out of bounds, which technically you're correct. Uh, but since I'm relatively certain he was pushed out of bounds by by the opponent and then immediately returned in bounds, we see there's only two camera angles that it shows it from, and it doesn't really show him being out of bounds in either of them. Um but you can kind of assume that since he was in coverage the whole time that he was most likely pushed out of bounds or stepped out of bounds while in contact with an opponent, which would fall into this exception. But like you said, it doesn't matter anyway. It's a moot point. But I don't think this really was should have been illegal touching. If it was called that way, I would disagree with that, that ruling. Unless we had definitive evidence that the player was running five, ten yards out of bounds, not trying to get back in. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if even if his foot just grazes out of bounds. If he wasn't pushed there, it's illegal touching. 
if he was in contact with the other, he doesn't have to be pushed necessarily. They have to be in contact or it looks like he's getting pushed, right? Like you're not going to see, you're right. Out of bounds due to the contact is the official wording. So we're both sort of right there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, like I said, it's a moot point, but that was something I saw and commented on at the time. So I figured I'd bring it to you all's attention on the legal touching rule um, in college. So there you go. That is the illegal touching rule in college. And that is this week's Mike's Stupid Rules segment. Um, going forward, we'll probably start to mix some uh, basketball rules back into Mike's Stupid Rules segment now that college basketball season is underway. So we'll probably have a mix of football and basketball rules for the next couple of weeks as I see things that pique my interest. So moving on to our Wait That Down prediction segment where we always start with our accountability session. And well, this time our accountability session will be very short because we had nothing that came off the board this week. So moving right along, Kyle, you want to put some new things up on the board? Yeah, so despite Xavier Foster's playing time, he only played nine minutes in the first game for the Cyclones. And what I think will be a year where he sits on the bench for a little bit, I'm going to say that at some point this season, Xavier Foster will start for the Cyclones. Mm, I don't know what to do with this one. We know Steve Prohm doesn't like to uh, play two bigs at a time. And he also doesn't like to change his starting lineup very much. He doesn't. So this will either be an injury thing or a very poor performance thing. Or which is both or an are. outstanding if if Solomon Young if Solomon Young keeps rebounding the way he has, he's not gonna stay in the starting lineup. Zero rebounds in nineteen minutes for Solomon Young is not good. You need your center against to, a against a non power five team. <laughs> yeah. You need your center to like do the rebound thing sometimes. Anyway, um, boy, I really don't know what to put this one at. Uh, I would go for a double. Double? That, that seems right to me. All right, that's fine with me. We'll do a double. We'll do a double. Um, my prediction, speaking of Solomon Young, my <laughs> prediction that Solomon Young will get at least one rebound this year. <laughs> he'll manage to rebound the ball at least once. I hope so. <laughs> I really uh, hope, hope so. so. <laughs> I hope it's on Wednesday night. Um, uh, so you're giving him an entire year for a rebound. That's a single. single. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys letting me get away with putting this on the I, board. No, you can have it. I, you can have it can just because it. it's funny. <laughs> you'll get one rebound at some point this year. I'll be much more generic and say that uh, men's basketball will win their first conference game which is against Kansas State, I think. I is probably it a home game or an that. away game? I'm relatively certain it's home. Not the like only the reason why I ask this is Hilton Coliseum is so weird with the setup and no fans. It It's strange. Well, I, everything's kind of like that. I know, fans, but it? Hilton, it is, Hilton isn't the same. It isn't Hilton, yes. Okay. On the 15th of well, K State was picked to finish last in the Big 12 for yeah, reasons. Let's see what ESPN's basketball power index says about this game. If you give me a minute to go track it down here, I was not prepared. I apologize. Um, K State, ESPN's basketball power index gives Iowa State an 80, 79% chance to win this game. So this sounds like a single. Yep. 
Is it? Okay, I'll, I won't argue, but like, I don't. That's a single. That's a single. I don't. I don't think their predictions. in is a single. I don't think that is a correct uh, analysis this by ESPN. The team that lost to Drake. I mean, yeah. Just lost to Drake. But this is the Iowa State team, which is Iowa is. State team. Iowa State might lose to Drake too. Yeah. Don't get too caught up on losing to Drake, Mike. Drake's not that good this year. Also, yeah. I doesn't play Drake this year, so. Well, I know because they're not doing the cha- the High V Classic. True. Anyway, do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Uh, yep, Josh is still alive. He's doing good. Um, but no, we do not have a prediction from Josh this week. He's taking a week off. So with two singles and a double, that means we have our predictions. That doesn't mean anything actually, but. What I was trying to get at is that we have three predictions on the board, which means we're at the end of the Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 108 of the 8311 cast. Make sure to around with this and make sure to check us out next week for episode 109 because our episodes are numbered sequence. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones! Baseball championship bounce! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>